0: Hey Anna. Hey Mike. Have you heard of Honey's Real Dog Food? I have indeed heard of Honey's Real Dog Food. Did you know they had a podcast? Yes I did actually. (laughs) Okay have you heard it yet? No I haven't actually. Well today's your lucky day because they've done a series called the Dog Nutrition Podcast. It's only seven episodes and it's a real deep dive into dog nutrition and the reason I like it it's In seven episodes, everything you've been talking about for the last three years or whatever, I've I've known you. All about nutrition, the dangers of kibble and processed food, and essentially why you should feed raw. It's a really good listen. I'm sure it is, actually. I can't wait. So I thought for a little treat for A Dog's Life listeners, today, as a bonus, you can listen to episode one of the Dog Nutrition Podcast. And if you like it, you can find the link where would they find a link for something like that
1: in the show notes
0: in the show notes
1: yes
0: (laughs) exactly so here is episode one of the dog nutrition podcast if you like it find it on apple spotify or follow the show note link take it away jonathan
1: oh thank you jonathan take it away
0: hello my name's jonathan self and i'm the founder of honey's real dog food honey's was delighted to provide the funding for this podcast If you're looking for more information on raw feeding and canine nutrition, you can download a free copy of the best-selling guide, The Natural Feeding Handbook, from www.honeysrealdogfood.com.
2: Hello and welcome to the Dog Nutrition Podcast. I'm Penny Borum.
3: And I'm Seth Masters. And that sounds as though someone is really enjoying themselves.
2: Darcy the Labrador is seriously living in the moment. Those of us who own and love dogs witness our dogs enjoying their food, but let's face it, we also know that most of them will eat whatever is put in front of them. So the question we want to ask is what is truly nutritionally best for dogs and why?
3: As we're both radio journalists as well as dog lovers, we've set out to interview a wide selection of experts to try and answer that question. We intend to find out which nutrients dogs need to thrive and in what form they need to eat them.
2: The extent to which kibble, fresh food or raw food is most likely to give dogs what they need. And what
3: the benefits and drawbacks are with any of those types of feeding.
2: We're also going to talk to dog owners who are trying, often struggling, to know what is best for the animals they care for. But we've discovered this is a controversial area.
3: Yes, there's a lot of disagreement amongst professionals about the best way to feed our dogs. So it's not surprising owners often feel confused and find it hard to know who or what to trust. Vet Connor O'Halloran, who has also done research in veterinary medicine and epidemiology, told us about owner surveys that reveal quite how extreme things have got. So there's been
4: quite a lot of interest recently in looking at engaging with clients on not just nutrition, but lots of other aspects of animal and pet health. And one of the interesting things that we've all sort of seen recently, and especially with the pandemic, is the rise of the internet as a source of information. And I think in human medicine, they call it Dr. Google. And So there's been quite a lot of work done recently on how engaged people and owners are with veterinary professionals as their predominant source of advice. And that study was done, I think it was a couple of years ago now. So it was an owner survey based study where they just asked people where they looked to get information from about their pets and their pet health. And 87% of respondents said that they would go to the Internet as a source of information, when it came to most aspects of their pet's health, and then specifically when it came to nutrition, only two percent of respondents in that survey, which was over a thousand people, said that they would go to their vets as the primary source of nutrition
3: advice for their for their animals, companion animals, obviously. It seems a huge amount of owners are losing faith in what the professionals are telling them. Ninety-eight percent who are choosing not to go to a professional to get advice.
2: We've certainly noticed, as you may have done, that there's a lot written online about this subject, which makes sense as that study tells us that 87% of people are turning to the internet. We don't see a lot of agreement. Vet Danny Chambers says he's perplexed as to why the issue of feeding dogs has become so polarising.
5: Most vets in practice will end up discussing feeding and in particular raw feeding with clients you know most weeks Um, but what's probably more interesting like everything in society at the moment it's one of those topics that when it gets discussed on social media um, for some reason it seems to be a very polarized subject and I personally find it slightly strange that the type of food you give your dog could be so emotive and polarizing And obviously, as a vet, I've got a particular interest in dog diets because, you know, it's to do with their long term health. But I don't fully understand why people would be so passionate about what someone else feeds their dog, you know, if they had no professional interest in that.
2: And it seems that many of us do begin questioning our choices about the food we give our dogs when they're unwell, in the same way as we begin to look at our own diets in similar situations. Joy is the owner of Darcy, who you heard scoffing his food at the top of the program. She's taken a huge interest in dog nutrition ever since she experienced the ill health of her first dog.
1: So it actually started, I think, about 20 years ago when I uh, had a beautiful black Labrador called Bollinger, who was kibble fed all the way from being a, a puppy because it was what I thought the best thing to do at the time. And he had terrible health issues. From the age of about four, he had terrible arthritis. He actually died of cancer eventually, but um, throughout most of his life, he was medicated and I was caring for him. And then when he was about eight, I met a fantastic man called Jimmy Simmons, who was a holistic vet. I'd never heard of such a thing. And I was so lucky and privileged to meet Jimmy. I didn't, I didn't adopt a raw food diet wholesale at that stage, but he was the man who introduced the idea to me. Um, so it was, it was a conversation about diet in the context of an overall natural healthcare regime for my dog, so it was everything. Um, and it completely flipped my thinking about what it was to be a pet guardian. We put them on one thing for all of their life, in this case, traditionally kibble, And um, how can that be? You know, the psychology of we feed our families and our friends this very varied diet. But then when it comes to our pets, who are in our care 24-7, they have no choice of their own. They can't do anything. If you're feeding one thing all their life, how devastating the impact of that. That's what really hit me. I didn't know what the right thing to do at that stage was, but I knew what I was doing was the wrong thing. Basically, the question is, how can we be more... Sensible and less devastating to our dogs, both in terms of how we treat them and how we feed them.
2: You may be thinking, why have we chosen to delve into this whole issue of dog nutrition? It's because we're radio journalists, yes, and definitely massive dog lovers. But it also comes out of personal experience too. I had a beloved dog who had a tendency to put on weight from very young, even before she was spayed. So she was always fed a kibble designed for dogs who are overweight. At the back of my mind, I used to wonder about it. She developed lots of fatty lipomas, which I felt may or may not have been linked. But it was only much later and around the time she was diagnosed with cancer that I started to really wonder about her diet. I began reading about a company called Honey's Real Dog Food, who I found during my internet searches. They supply raw food for dogs and I wanted to try it. I witnessed her really enjoying her food. Her feces looked healthy, her mood improved despite her ill health, but I felt I had, ultimately for her, come to natural feeding too late. So after she died, I wrote to express my thanks to honeys for all their support in those last stages of her life and also my wish to understand more about dog nutrition. I felt I had not done all I could for my dog and I wanted, when another dog came into my life, to understand more. They, Honeys, then suggested they would love to sponsor me to make a series. I asked Seb to join me, and it's true that although we are open to all we hear, we do both have an interest in raw and natural feeding for dogs.
3: Yes, my family dog is a rescue, and we started feeding her raw for two reasons. One, when she came to us, she had quite a few health conditions, including quite severe uh, hip dysplasia. So we were conscious about what diet would be best to mitigate these conditions. And two, she simply wasn't eating her kibble diet, so it seemed uh, sensible to, to try other options. So when Penny asked me to make this series with her, I was very intrigued to learn more and keen to really dig down into the science of nutrition. Vet Nick Thompson thinks there's a direct correlation between diet and the rise of obesity in dogs as well as other diseases?
0: I think it's well recognised that allergic disease, autoimmune disease, diabetes and obesity are on the increase now. There's a, a chain of vets in the States called Banfield and they do a health report every year and they look back over the last 10 years and pretty much all these diseases are increasing as, as we move forward. Obesity in dogs during the 70s was kind of in the twenties percent of dogs in the UK. And now that figure, the last figure I saw was from Alex German in 2018. And he was saying that 74% of dogs in the UK are either obese or overweight. And so it's all going in the wrong direction really. And I think that it would be very difficult to say no Food doesn't have anything to do with the epidemic of obesity that we're seeing with our dogs. If we take a step back, as more and more people fed kibble, we had more and more obesity and diabetes. And I think that one can draw a direct line between those two things because kibble is, is a high carbohydrate. Uh, way to feed it's also ultra processed but kibble is high high carbohydrate and what happens with high carbohydrate that's broken down into sugars sugars increase insulin and insulin is the hormone of storage and preparing for winter essentially it's it's all about laying down deposits and so if you've got a diet which twice a day bumps up your insulin levels, is there there any surprise that we see so many dogs who are overweight and obese now? I think that there's a direct correlation.
2: That was vet Nick Thompson. Dog nutritionist and author Dr Connor Brady also started thinking about and examining canine nutrition after observing the ill health of the dogs he was working with. Connor has written the comprehensive book Feeding Dogs, The Science Behind the Dry vs Raw Debate and is an advocate of canine natural feeding and also a proponent of raw feeding. But early on in his career while training guide dogs in Australia, he started to notice how many of them were suffering from itchy skin and other conditions. However, once he changed their diet, he noticed improvements in their health.
6: We started making a change and we saw a little decrease uh in, in what was happening in the dogs in two or three of the worst cases, we just we, we eradicated their vet visits. We we solved their itchy skin issue that the vets couldn't. And I'm delighted with this and I'm taking it to the vets and the vets are not really joining me in the in the excitement of it all. So I found that a little bit uh disconcerting. You know, I'm trying to convince my superiors, you know, I've got these dogs off these medicines and You can't train a dog on steroids. You know, this is a massive success. I've saved this charity huge money. I'm I'm amazing. Nobody's joining me in, in that appraisal. So then I bumped into Brisbane Guide Dogs and they had just changed 200 dogs from dry food to raw food. And the difference in their in their veterinary bills it's published in the courier times a brisbane newspaper 82 percent drop in their veterinary bills so for recurring skin and gut conditions orthopedic issues which are so important if you're training dogs for the street and uh, they also had comments on behavior and stuff which is the train in my in the background all that stuff pricks your ears something terrible and i'm like oh my god this is just so obvious look at this the results this incredible ceo chris lane And so all that kind of made me look at what was going on in dogs and go back to the books where I was now working full time with dogs. I was forced to kind of start doing this stuff at night time.
3: And during that night time studying, Connor began delving into dogs physiological relationship with their distant wolf relatives.
6: If you compare the, the skull of a wolf to the skull of a German shepherd and just tweak them a tiny bit for the slight difference in size, those skulls look as close to identical to the common person as as you need. You know, you would look at the two skulls and if I asked you which one was the grey wolf, you couldn't tell me. The teeth are on show, the mouth is slightly open, the, the skull is very, very identical. Now, somebody that studies bones all the time can tell you that there's a bit more muscle attachment on the wolf, he can close his jaws harder. His teeth are ever so slightly bigger, but there's not a huge sea change in any part of that skull. So very, very similar. From the skull to the shape of the teeth, the grey wolf's is, is, is slightly bigger, okay. Uh, forward-facing eyes, huge muscle attachment across the head for slamming the jaw closed. The jaw only opens and closes, which is a carnivore trait. There's no sideways movement like a sheep or like like a human. We can grind plant forage sideways with our flat back teeth. Dogs don't have any of that. In fact, dogs' teeth don't move sideways at all. Their teeth come down. They don't meet like our back teeth do. Their back teeth pass past each other like a like a scythe. And so their top teeth sit outside their inside teeth. So there's no sideways movement. Those jaws snap open and close. So that is not an adaption for plant forage. That is an adaption for catching prey and holding prey. Huge muscle attachment to stop the jaw dislocating. And everything about the wide extra, uh, the keratinized gullet for swallowing food, uh, the huge carnasal tooth at the back for chopping meat and bone. Everything about that mouth says carnivore. Uh, the, the lack of salivary amylase to to a very large degree. Everything about that that face, the 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 eyes rigged for movement. You know, you look. I could go on. I could go on. So very carnivorous head. Then you move down to a very carnivorous gut with a pH of one to one point two. At when the gastric acids get going. That our pH is around two when our stomachs get going. So that's nearly a tenfold decrease from pH 1 to 2. That's actually a tenfold decrease in acidity. So a very acidic gut, and um, very quick processing time. Their intestines are smooth and fast, so food shoots through. There's no uh, cecum and little dead ends and, and long intestines like humans have because we hold on to our more fibrous plant meal because the bacteria need time to ferment it and, and get the job done. Carnivores, they just eat meat, protein and fat rapidly digested in their acid bile and then it shoots through the uh, the, the gut. So they've got short fast digestive systems and people that try to say dogs are you know virtually uh, vegetarians today, they'll say, oh well dogs have uh, very long intestines, the same as humans, but they just say these things without any sort of thought, no sort of evidence. If you ask them for their supporting study, there's perhaps one study that suggests dogs' intestines are slightly longer than we would have thought, but that study was done on very dead dogs and we know the intestines get longer as they relax. Almost all studies of dogs' intestines say that they're very, very short. Three and a half times their body length. A true wolf would be maybe three times their body length, like a cat. Nothing like humans five or six times their body length. So they, their bacterial colonies aren't uh, adapted for fermentation. And that's just the physical stuff we're looking at. Then you would get into, you know, the structure of the animal or, or how he runs on his toes and how he hunts. But looking at the physiology of the animal, then we know that dogs are totally adapted to this meat based diet. They, they happily live in, in ketogenesis and protein and fat. They get their energy from protein and fat. But there's some interesting little physiological quirks that differ them from wolves and these tiny little quirks in a body that exhibits thousands of carnivorous processes every day. And yes, there is some tiny, tiny, tiny steps towards an increase in plant material in this animal. For sure, there is tiny steps, but to focus on them and ignore all the rest is just a uh, misleading uh, nonsense of, you know, of the highest order.
3: However, vet Danny Chambers wants to emphasise the differences between modern dogs and wolves in particular, in reference to dogs' ability to digest
5: plants. As humans became farmers, dogs became farmers. Their genetics and their phenotype has changed, as has humans, to adjust to new food types. But you also look at how they've physically changed, you know, and an extreme example would be something like a pug or a French bulldog, you know, these brachycephalic breeds that, you know, struggle even to breathe without intervention you know if you want them to be natural you think well you know why don't you turn that out into yellowstone national park to hunt with the wolves and see how long it lives for you know it's some it's a completely different creature the wolves alive today and the dogs that we've domesticated are obviously related as in cousins but they're both descendants from a common ancestor that doesn't really exist anymore you know so going back to the argument about uh, wolves being healthier well are they I mean, how long does a wolf live in the wild? Often, you know, wild carnivores, if they're catching their prey, they're eating fresh meat. Whereas, you know, our meat has been, you know, through a slaughterhouse, it's been through a supermarket, you know, it comes into your kitchen, it's stored in the kitchen for a while, that kind of stuff, you, you know, the bacteria that, that would harm us would also harm your dog. And they're much less likely to be encountered by these wild predators that are catching, you know, fresh animals.
2: Danny Chambers touches there on his misgivings about a raw food diet. This is something we're going to look into. However, Dr Connor Brady, who firmly believes in the benefits of raw feeding, also sees dogs' connection to wolves as significant, and that this needs to be understood when we think about what dogs should eat now. We asked him if this relationship is something that canine nutritionists emphasise.
6: It's quite easy to say dogs aren't wolves, so you wouldn't feed a dog like a wolf. And that's quite true. I mean, we used to be chimpanzees. We wouldn't feed ourselves like chimpanzees. They would far too much leaves. We couldn't digest that stuff. But that doesn't mean that the that the comparison isn't isn't irrelevant. I mean, at the end of the day, this animal has come from a very long line of carnivores. Around about 100,000 years ago, something happened in the environment. It started shifting and then suddenly we bloomed out with 37 wolf species. And about 30,000 years ago, the dog popped up. He started filling a certain niche little proto-dog. And it turned out that that proto-dog could live on material that perhaps the humans were discarding they could live closer to them dog humans started taking them in and using them for alarms and whatever else they needed eventually protection when they start settling together and so dogs became part of our lives but it was only you know a hundred years ago 200 years ago that we actually had roaming laws we our dogs just lived outside did what they want they interbreeded themselves most dog breeds today came from two hundred years ago. Very tight little genetic bottlenecks where they selected and selected and selected for a mushed up face, mushed up face and eventually his nose is gone. they imply today that well the dog is now a domestic dog and very removed from his from his proto-dog ancestor where they where they roam and do their own do their own thing. But most people would say that's just not true. We've plenty of studies of free roaming wild dogs. We can follow them. They're truly feral dogs, are dogs that don't like humans, they don't like being near humans. We try and focus on the dog and what we know of of the dog today.
2: As you made that point that, okay, we wouldn't eat what monkeys ate. Having said that, we've gone so far away to kind of a processed diet in a similar way that dogs have from from wolves. So in, in a way, the wolf, in a way, what they ate does help us, doesn't it, to understand how far removed the diet of a dog is now?
6: a uh, 100% i mean you no animal has shifted its diet from you know one end of a spectrum to another in a couple of thousand years in 5000 years 10000 years we don't have another example of an animal that does that it takes eons it takes thousands of generations and massive environmental selective pressure i mean huge shifts in Temperature and climates, and I've suddenly there's a water gap, and now I can only live on palm tree nuts or something. And so, huge changes are needed for that to happen. So, no, there's been no evidence that that, that has happened, and particularly with the diet they're eating today. If you're going to jump the dog from a carnivore to a herbivore, which uh, most dogs are being fed a very vegetarian diet today, they look at this meat based on I'm doing some air quotes there meat paste kibbles, which, if it says with beef or with chicken, has 4% beef bone meal in it beef bone meal not even meat so to suggest that that makes that meat based is is ridiculous but that's what they sell you that's what they are telling you and they color it brown and they put a picture of a steak on the front and you go lovely this is cow cow food but actually it's a very vegetarian diet so the shift that you're talking about from a wolf meat a complete carnivore this proto-dog certainly was a complete carnivore um, up until recently as the studies can tell us to suggest that he's now a herbivore is, is ridiculous there's uh, these, this huge claim that they're making needs huge evidence and of course that evidence is entirely absent so you're you're spot on to say there hasn't been a, a massive leap certainly not to this ridiculous product most are feeding today
2: so we've established in this very first episode of the dog nutrition podcast that this subject touches on the very definition of what dogs are and how we view them
3: Are they omnivore, or carnivore, or even herbivore?
2: What do they really need in terms of proteins, carbohydrates, and fats?
3: In fact, in our next episode, these are precisely the questions we're going to focus on. Please do keep listening.
2: For now, it's bye-bye from me, Penny.
3: And from me, Seb. We'll leave you with some more of Darcy, enjoying his dinner.
0: If you're looking for more information on raw feeding and canine nutrition, you can download a free copy of the best-selling guide, The Natural Feeding Handbook, from www.honey'srealdogfood.com.